Today uh, and next Sunday, as we've said, is our, is our, our, our gift day. And uh, traditionally, we try to kind of teach into that and look again at uh, maybe some verses, what the Bible teaches about why we give and how we give. And uh, that's kind of what this morning is about. And uh, as I was really praying about that, what to say, what scripture to use, I found myself going back to a bit of an odd one, to be honest. Uh, And I couldn't really escape it. And the verse I want to point you to today is actually Galatians 5, verse 6. It goes like this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith expressing itself through love. And that's it. That's your verse. And uh, you may think, well, that's got nothing to do with the gift day. And if there's anybody visiting this morning, you'll be thinking, circumcision? What kind of church is this? Time to leave. Uh, I understand that. I understand that. It's a strange verse to kind of look to. But, but trust me, there is a link that will become clearer, hopefully. Uh, but to get there, I do need to, to place this verse back into its context just to let me explain. So, so to do that, I need to go back to the late uh, 40s AD when the Apostle Paul, well, it's a bit long, but the Apostle Paul is, uh, is preaching around Turkey. And Galatia, see that big green mark up there, Paul goes into this area of Galatia and he's preaching and he's preaching what in Acts chapter 20 he refers to as the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. And if you're thinking, well, what does the gospel of grace really mean? Well, in a nutshell, if I can just summarize it for you, the gospel of grace is really about this. It's about the fact that you and I, here's you, imagine this is you, and imagine this heavy thing here is is your is your sin, all right? This is sin, and every person is born onto the earth with this burden called sin. And then it's our self-centeredness, our independence, our ego, our pride, our, our, our greed, uh, our lust. It's all there. And every child, every person comes onto the earth carrying this heavy, heavy burden. And the problem with this burden as well is that God is here and this burden cuts us off from God as well. So it's a heavy burden to carry and the guilt and, and the heaviness of that life. And also it cuts us off from the love of God. But the gospel of grace is this, that, that God sent his son Jesus in his grace to the earth. And Jesus has Jesus and he is carrying no sin because he has no sin. He is perfect in all his ways. There's no shadow between him and his father. Perfect relationship. Nothing cutting him off from the love of his father. And this Jesus comes and in his mercy and grace, he goes to the cross. And if we put our trust in Jesus, he comes to us and takes that burden off us and it's placed on him on the cross. And he carries it on the cross, our sin and the punishment for that sin. And that leaves us Free, free to enjoy the love of God, free to know his mercy and fellowship for all our days and beyond into eternity, all because of grace. It's the free gift of grace. That's the gospel of grace, and that's what Paul and his team were preaching when they go into Galatia, and he preaches it, and many receive the message, and many are saved, and churches are planted, and it's a wonderful, wonderful explosion of the gospel of grace. Eventually, Paul moves on and preaches elsewhere, but unfortunately for the Galatian churches, certain teachers turn up on their doorstep, 
And they're from a kind of a Judean Jewish background, Jewish believers, maybe even from Jerusalem. And they are believers who turn up on the doorstep and, uh, and, and, and culturally they're very Jewish. And it's not that these teachers turn up and say to the Galatian churches, don't believe in Jesus, it's not about Jesus, it's about the old covenant, it's about the law, it's about Moses. It's not that they taught that, it's that they taught this. Oh, you follow Jesus now, that's wonderful, so do we. We follow him too, that's fantastic. But, but listen, if you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be in his favour, if you want to be Christian first class and fully accepted by God, then listen, trusting in Jesus is good, but, but there are a few other things you really need to do as well. All right? I mean there, are, we mean, there are commands for you to follow still in the Old Testament. There's a mosaic law. There are festivals and there are ceremonies you need to obey. And oh, by, oh, by the way, one last thing as well. Uh, you will need to be circumcised because that's the true mark of the people of God. And, and that's what they were teaching. And of course, some of these younger believers in Galatia, because, because I guess they wanted to learn and they wanted to do the right thing, And because these teachers were so impressive, their response more and more was, well, okay then. Okay then. If if these are things we need to do to fully achieve God's favour, then okay, even circumcision. And I can imagine some of the guys with tears in their eyes going, circumcision, okay. And, And so what happens is that these churches begin to drift into, I guess what I would call this, I would call it a kind of, Jesus plus kind of faith. A Jesus plus. Jesus plus performance. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross is great, but not quite enough to bring us into God's full favour. There's still things you need to do. There's a a standard of godliness you need to reach. And and the thing is this. Look, if you're tempted to to think, you silly Galatians, what were you thinking of by following this teaching? Well, You've got to watch out. You need to be a bit careful because, you know, there will always be a temptation for us to go down the same path. There always will. To fall into the trap of thinking, Jesus, yes, I put my trust in him, hallelujah, but I know there are things I need to do and to achieve to really make it. Yeah? Almost like there's a, there's a level of performance I need to reach for God to fully receive me wholeheartedly. It's almost like, yeah, Jesus gets us into the car park, but there are a few things you need to do to get into the house. You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of feeling you sometimes get when people say to you, hey, it's great you're going to church, but, but look, you really need to do more. You really need to be reading more. Need, need to be reading the Bible. Need to be at that connect group more. You really need to be giving more in your offerings. You really need to be praying for longer. You really need to be more godly. And it's not that the exhortations are wrong. It's the really you need to be aspect that can become a snare. Because it can carry the implication, if you're not, if you're not being more... If you're not doing enough, if you're not performing enough, if you're not working hard enough, then you really don't have access to the favour and acceptance of God. It's no longer Jesus who saves you, it's Jesus plus. Jesus plus. And the thing is that that cycle of thinking, it just sucks the life out of you. 
And actually, it leads you back into slavery, really. Slavery to fear that I, can ever, that, I, that I can never truly do enough to be totally sure of God's love for me. It's that kind of slavery. And there are many in the church broadly who are under that legalistic way of belief, who live under that niggly, condemning fear, I'm not doing enough. And God, he loves me only to a point. And he accepts me only to a point. But I'll never be fully Christian. I'll always be sitting in the back row, you know, Christian third class. God will always be using other people, but never me. He'll always bless others, but never me. I'm just not acceptable enough. And you see, that's what the Galatian church was slipping into. That's where they were going. And in answer to it, Paul says, no. He opposes that teaching. And he says this, in effect, he says, no circumcision or any kind of performance or add-ons to Jesus counts for anything. What matters, he says, is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. And I just want to unpack this phrase for a little while because it's key to understanding how I am to express my walk with God and even how I'm going to approach giving on, on this gift day. Faith expressing itself through love. What's he really saying? Interestingly, the new Amplified Version translates it slightly differently. It expands it to mean this. Oops, sorry. Uh, uh, eh. Faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love. In other words, I think Paul's really saying this. Your faith is not about slavery to performance, keeping the, the, the rules, the have-tos and the should-dos and standards to be reached. It's about love. That's what your faith is about. It's about love. And you see, if it's about love, then to quote the song, love changes everything. Love changes everything. And in fact, it changes your faith in a number of different uh, fashions, and I want to just mention a few to you before we, we close this morning. Uh, the first one is this. If your faith is shaped by love, then it makes relationship your key concern, not following expectations of others. All right? Not performance. You can't really love a concept or a set of expectations you can only really love a person, can't you? It's true. And that's how it should be because when Jesus died for you on the cross, he died to bring you into relationship with God, not a set of expectations. He died to bring you into a family, not a company, not an organization, not a religion. See, the incredible mystery or scandal of the gospel, I think, is really this, that through Jesus... The sovereign God who created the universe and who needs no one has brought you and me into such intimacy with him that he has allowed himself to be profoundly affected by me. It's astonishing. You see, it's all about proximity. At great cost, God has brought you close to him and to his heart. Reminds me of a couple that are, uh, we used to know, Julie and I, uh, very, very dear friends of ours, and we'd known them for many years. And uh, this couple, actually, they weren't able to have children of their own, uh, and so they decided to adopt. They wanted to adopt children, and so they, they did. They actually chose or adopted three 
little children. And uh, an amazing path to go down. And these three children were from a very troubled background, actually. But they, they really, they, they chose to reach out and bring three little strangers into close proximity to their hearts. That's, in effect, what they did. And they brought them into their inner circle of love. And, and that impacted this couple profoundly. It meant that they knew times of incredible joy and celebration as these little kiddies began to grow. But you know what? It also meant when they really hit the teenage years in particular, and because of their troubled past began to catch up a bit, it meant that they were exposed to incredible pain and anguish as well. And I still remember sitting opposite the father with his head in his hands, weeping, wondering about his son who had really gone off track and into a terrible, terrible predicament. And what that was was because this couple had chosen to bring these three little strangers close to their hearts. And that's what happened as a result. And in effect, in a way, that's what God has done with us. Once we were far from him, but through the incredible cost of his son, he chose to bring us into this intimate circle. He opened himself up to you and me. And so now, incredibly, it blows my mind, I, little old me, am now in the position of being able to bless or grieve the heart of God. That's phenomenal. Who am I? But God has brought me so close that I can have that influence. It's amazing. And so, so we are now placed into that favor through Jesus. And so now we read verses like Ephesians 4 where, where Paul can say this. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, he says. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's amazing because, because of God's love for me, because of my closeness to him, I can grieve God. I find that astonishing, to be, to be honest. And that word grieves very strong. It means to cause great distress or intense sorrow to the heart of God. I have power to do that to the Almighty God, the God who spun the stars out into space, the God who raises up empires and brings empires down, the God for whom there is no beginning and no end. I have power to grieve him. He's brought me that close. It's phenomenal. And not only that, but through my actions, through my attitudes, I also have power to please him. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, make it your aim to please him. To the Thessalonians, live in order to please God. And can you see that Paul's not talking about attaining a standard or a performance to become accepted? It's about the fact that I have been given a unique place of favor before God that I can affect him that way. That's the favor. Through Jesus, he has brought me that close. So that's the first amazing thing, really. By definition, my faith, because it's to be expressed through love, is dominated by a person, not traditions, regulations, and have-tos. It's about a person. That's the first thing about this faith being expressed through love. Second thing is this. This is the big one. Second thing is this. Love, strangely, is an ironic thing. Love makes demands on us that are higher than any rules or duty or dry tradition could ever do because it's love, because it's love. And we know that's true, don't we? We will gladly do more for love than for anything else. You just need to think about your kids to know that's true. I mean, it's true, isn't it? 
Fact is, raising kids carries a huge cost in all kinds of ways. Right from the moment they're born, they're like a little hand grenade going off in your life, aren't they? Right from the very moment they're born. I can still remember holding Sam in my arms on that first night we brought him home from the hospital. Up to that point, I thought, ah, I'm going to have a baby, a son, a son, I've got a son. But when it came to bringing him home, I still remember that first evening walking up and down in the early hours holding the screaming lump of flesh. And I remember thinking, there really is such a time as 4 a.m. I, I, I only knew about it in theory before, but now I see it. It's true. And that was just the first night, and he's been keeping me awake ever since. But that's just the start. You see, year after year, what are you doing? You're, you're cleaning up mess, and you're cleaning up vomit, and poo, and snot, and you're flicking bits off you. I mean, half of you parents, when you came to church this morning, you're flicking bits of your baby off your, out of your hair and off your, off your clothes. It's what you do. It's what you do. You pace the floor at night holding on to them when they're sick. You pay for their clothes. You worry about them when they start school. I remember when our youngest son, Tom, started school, half a day school. I remember Julie and I, we dropped him off. We ran home and we lay on our beds holding hands, terrified about what was happening to Tom. It's what you do because you love them, isn't it? I remember my other son holding him in my arms in a children's hospital in the UK as he was suffering and the doctors didn't know what to do. And I remember looking out the window weeping at the suffering of my son. It's what you do. It's what you do. And so you pay for their school trips and their sports and you clothe them as best you can and you spend hours and money buying presents you know they'll love and you go without in order to make them happy. Why? Because you're supposed to. It's in the book. You have to, the rules. No. It's because you love them. It's because you love them. You don't think twice about it. I read a study recently that says the cost of raising a child to the age of 18 in this country is $250,000. That's how much your child is costing you. $250,000. Now, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think many of you will now walk out the door saying, right, that's it, we're giving them back. <laughs> no, because you love them. You love them. Love is a powerful motivation. I was looking at my grandkids the other day and a thought entered my head and the thought was this. If I had to, at the drop of a hat, I'd lay my life down for them. I wouldn't even hesitate. I'd hold nothing back. You see, what is that? It's love. And we know that's true in other areas of life. Think about when you were going out with your wife or husband, when you were still going out together. Remember back that far? Some of you, it's a long way back. You weren't thinking back then, okay, the rule book, this is what I've got to do. I've got to take her out to a meal on Saturday night. Oh, I've, got to, oh, I've got to take her out to uh, buy her flowers on Thursday. Rats, oh, what can I do? Oh, what can I miss out on? You weren't thinking like that at all, were you? No, you were waiting for hours in the rain, waiting for her to turn up because you loved her. It was love that compelled you. You paid heaps to take, it out, take her out and you didn't think anything of it. You'd do anything for her. In fact, guys... Her every wish was your command. Remember that? <laughs> Have to go back a long way, some of you. <laughs> Did I do that, dear? No. <laughs> but it's true. Love is a powerful, powerful motivation. And really what Paul is saying, in a sense, is so it is with God. We hold nothing back. We pay any cost because our faith is not about obeying the rules or performing enough. It's an expression of love. 
It's love. It's about loving the one who's already given all for me. By my actions, I can bless him or grieve him, so I hold nothing back. You see, if our faith becomes just having to conform to the the, the rules or expectations and the have-tos and the should-dos, then that's all we start thinking about, the have-tos and the should-dos. And actually, we can become thinking like resentful slaves. You know, how much do I have to do to do enough to meet the requirement? And how much can I get away with without doing? We begin to think that way. And if there are laws about sin, then how close can I get to breaking that law without it actually being sin? We begin to think like that. You know, how much can I drink before it's technically sin? How far can I push it? We begin to try and push the boundaries or find shortcuts. How far can I go without it legally being fornication? How far can we go together before it's actually sin? What can I watch before it actually is adultery? We begin to think that way about the rules and about the laws. We begin to think about what we can get away with. How much can I own without it technically being greed? How much can I get away with putting in the offering without it being too miserly or unacceptable? We begin to think that way. Look, if you love God, those questions don't even appear on the table, do they? You're not thinking, what can I get away with? It's, how can I love him more? How can I please him who's holy and true, who gave his life for me? How can I please him more? His wish is my command. So when he says pray, I say, oh, yes, Lord, top of the list, because I love you. When he says the word of God, oh, yes, I make it my my ground of truth. I love the word because I love him. When he says be holy because I am holy, I say, yes, Lord, because I love you. See, it's a different, different motivation. Can you see there is a higher law of love? And God has brought us close in that love might be the dominant shaper of our faith, not performance. It's really important. And can I say, nowhere is this more true than when it comes to cash, finance. Nowhere is that more true than then. Because unfortunately, money is so close to our hearts and so private, isn't it? You know, back off, it's my territory. Sometimes we think, you don't know how much we've been hurt in the past. Don't talk to me about money. But, you know, in the scriptures, there are wonderful examples of faith expressing itself through love, even in this area. And I guess the most famous one, and I'll close with this, the most famous one is, uh, is in John chapter 12. And it's a beautiful story, and it starts off this way. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, actually other accounts add, not just one disciple, but the other disciples, said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages, other accounts add, and they scolded her. But then Jesus' response is so forceful. He says this, he says, leave her alone. Jesus replied. Other accounts add, she has done a beautiful thing to me. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. This very expensive perfume. How much you would earn in a year. A year's wages. And she's not rich. And I'm sure she could think of a million things that she needs to spend that money on. Think about what a year's wage would mean for you. There's always things to spend it on. The disciples are very quick to point out what it should have been spent on. The traditions and the expectations should have gone to the poor. That would be the sensible thing to do. But she's not thinking about rules or expectations or what's sensible. She's thinking about love. She's thinking about love. She's thinking about about touching the heart of God. And the thing is, Jesus treasures it. Jesus treasures it. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Leave her alone. And, And he even puts a significance on what she's done That's far beyond what she ever imagined. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She doesn't understand what that's about, but he has elevated her gift to something far beyond her understanding. Folks, this isn't keeping laws or should-dos. This is extravagant love. This is... This is someone who has been brought close to the heart of God and who wants to bless him. Folks, this is how I want to learn to live and this is how I want to learn to give. I want to give like that. Extravagant love. And that's what this gift day is really all about. It's an opportunity to express faith through love. Not performance, not have-tos, but love. And so here we have those four causes. We mentioned them over the last few weeks. We've got the Hope Project, getting the gospel into houses up and down the nation. Yeah, the ministry hub that we might release more ministry into the community. Sunday Kids Work we've talked about. And then also blessing other nations, other churches and other lands. In a sense for me, all of these will extend the kingdom. In a sense for me, they're not actually the most important thing. I want to give out of love and leave it to God to use my gift. And if I do give out of a heart of love, then I know he will treasure it and endow it with a significance far beyond those causes. And that's what I want to give to. So can I urge you to approach this gift day with that heart? It's not about expectation or performance. And please, if that has been your experience and that's the pressure you feel, please don't give. I'd ask you, please do not give. I would encourage you to begin to approach God again as a worship and expression of love. Let's give out of that and let's see what God will do with what we give. We praise God for what we've given in the past and how God has blessed it and used it and multiplied it and affected the lives of many people. So I'm believing for a gift as well that will do the same. But it's as he blesses it, not me. It says, I give it in a heart of love, not out of compulsion. Amen? Amen. Yes, just nod and smile. Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand. We're going to close now. And uh, you'll have a slip of paper there about how to give. Uh, uh, Sally's already mentioned it to you. And there's a red box on my right. And you may want to slip your offering into that as we, as we close the meeting. But before we do, I, I don't want us to lose the moment. I don't want to lose the moment of this, please, this isn't about to-dos or should-dos. It's really about your love for him, your love for God. 
And so again, can I just underline, if you feel any pressure to give, a sense of because I ought to, please don't give. Let it be an expression of extravagant love. And to do that, it must be between you and God, not us. It's between you and your God. But let it be love. Let it be, as well, courageous love. I felt God say that to me recently. Pete, I want you to love me, yeah, but let it be courageous love. Let it be courageous. Don't love safely. Love courageously. And I'm trying to think of ways I can do that. I guess finance may well be part of that. So I'm going to pray, ask God to help us and bless us. And it may be that you're thinking, well, I I know what I was going to give, but maybe I just need to hold back. That's fine. We're going to be giving next Sunday. There'll be another opportunity. Don't rush. Don't don't feel you need to because he got it prepared even. I want to just ask us to bring ourselves before God again and say, God, we're here because we love you. Let's just bow our heads, shall we, for a second. Hallelujah. Father God, Father God, Father, we just want to say again that we love you. Father, we want to say thank you, Lord, that that you sent Jesus to die for us. Lord, you rescued us from that burden of sin. And for our part, Lord, we want to give our lives afresh to you, not just our finance, but our lives we want to give to you. We want to say we love you, we worship you, we treasure you. And we want to offer our lives as worship to you afresh this morning. So, Father, we do. And we think of these four causes and we pray that you will bless those causes. We pray that through these causes, many lives will be changed. We pray that many will be saved. We pray that nations will be touched. We pray that children will come through to know you. Father, we pray that the gospel will go out to every house in the land. Father, we pray As we bring our offerings, please multiply our offering. Please endow them with significance far beyond what we could imagine. It's a thrilling thing to me to think that I can give something today and know that someone in Laos or Cambodia will feel the benefit. Father, we praise you for that or our children will receive the benefit. So Father, we want to worship you this morning. We say we worship you. We praise you. We love you. Jack's going to maybe finish with a song. And it's a song to worship from. We're going to worship him. We're just going to worship him for a moment, shall we? Just raise our hands and worship our God. Lay your life before him afresh. Bring a heart of love to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Jane.